It's the almost perfect podcast. Welcome to the almost perfect podcast. Celebration of fuck-ups, failures, and falling flat on your face. This is a podcast that believes you can learn from experience, but that experience doesn't have to be your own. Ha, I'm Bob Perfect, and I'm a functional fuck-up. Let's learn from somebody else's mistakes. And today we're learning from Luiso Gola. Now, Luiso is a stand-up comedian, and I'm pretty certain you know who he is. Uh, he's been nominated for an Emmy two times with his show Late Night News with Luisa Gola. He has appeared on Live at the Apollo. Personally, I think it's quite an achievement that he made it onto QR over in England. And yeah, he's also recently just put out a stand-up comedy special, a one-hour stand-up comedy special on Netflix called Unlearning, which he has been working on for the last six years. So we we chat about that for sure. But weirdly enough, we don't chat about some of the other stuff. We don't chat about LNN. We don't chat about Piermanati show. We don't chat about the Fat Joe show, which I wanted to bring up. Had that on my notes because uh, that's actually where I first saw him. I used to watch the Fat Joe show like a lot. That, that show was the first time I saw the Gorillas video for Clint Eastwood and a bunch of other things. Like people like Lee Sagola were also on that show. And that's where I first got an influence of stand-up comedy in South Africa and that's the thing for me it's been so cool to chat to Lisa in this format because he is someone whose career I've watched for a long time and you know I've picked up some tips along the way you know like I appreciate the way he views life and the way he approaches things and I dig his comedy hard like I really think he's one of the top comedians in the world at the moment i genuinely love what he does i think there's it's cerebral at times that there's like little things that get seated and yeah i i enjoy lisa's comedy quite a lot but it's been the journey that's been fun to watch from the outside and we get a little bit into what the reality of that journey is like although he is a bit of a guarded cat when it comes to the personal and we'll share what he shares with you and keep things compartmentalized in other ways and in a lot of ways which is something we get into we get into so much on this podcast i think you're really going to enjoy it uh, we get into extending empathy and understanding to people who you might disagree with and whose actions you might find abhorrent uh, we <laughs> you know like we get the value in trying to figure out yeah what what makes people tick because uh, Lisa is quite a ponderer at times. We also get into the intricacies of shooting a Netflix comedy special, and especially this special, from the fashion choices to deciding what jokes actually make it into the final cut and the cinematics and lots of different things come up when it comes to the special. So I think if you're a stand-up comedian or just someone who wants to you know, know how the, how the sausage gets made, we get into that towards the end of the chat. But yeah, we don't we don't even chat about like the QI stuff, which is something I wanted to chat about. It's interesting. He's someone who's done so fucking much. And yeah, we we had the conversation that we had. And I recommend never editing a podcast because you will doubt yourself so fucking hard in the edits, especially when it's someone like Lisa who, you know, I've seen that you guys care a little bit more this week. You know, I, I have a feeling that this episode is going to be listened to by a couple more people. So, 
yeah, like listening back, I'm a little bit more critical of myself. And there are some sound issues. I will let you know that straight off the bat. There are some times where these the sound dips in and out. And they're like, he lives in the city. So there's city noises, which I tried to reduce a little bit. But, you know, it's, it is what it is. It sounds like a phone call. And <laughs> at times, you know, phone calls go the way they go. But we're living in a fucking pantoffles. And that's, that's just the way it is. Sometimes you're going to get dope-ass conversations and a little bit of the audio cuts out, you know, or just gets really soft. Like, that's going to happen sometimes. That's just, that's just the way it is. But this is the almost perfect podcast, and we roll with it, and we go with it, and we have the conversation that we have. And yeah, this one was also a little stressful because, like, the program didn't necessarily work for, like, the first 15 minutes properly, so we chewed time. And thankfully, Lisa gave me a little bit of extra time afterwards. Cut into his lunch time. And he's very, very particular about how he spends his time. So, yeah, we get into a lot, man. We get into a lot. This is a fun conversation. I think you're really going to enjoy it. And I hope, I hope you've had a good week. I know it's just dark times all around, all the time. Never-ending fucking just misery. And, you know, all this dark, cheerless, and deadly and all of that shit. But maybe, maybe you found some joy. Maybe you found some joy. Maybe you found some things to enjoy lately. I've been digging into Anthony Bourdain's deep catalog of videos. Because he's not someone who I ever became accustomed to. Like when he passed away, I saw the outpouring of love. But I still didn't necessarily dip into it. But lately, yeah, lately I wanted to see a little bit more of the world from the confines of my grand's spare room <laughs> so yeah i've been digging into the anthony bourdain videos and i feel like i found a new daddy you know like mark maron's definitely one of my daddies and like i feel like anthony bourdain's like another one of my daddies because my daddy wasn't around growing up so you know i'm constantly searching constantly looking for that older male figure to show me you know how to be a man and yeah, I dig his vibe. I think Anthony Bourdain is a solid dude, backs hard. And I'm going to keep digging into his videos and keep learning more about the world. So if, you, if, you, if you've never given him a try, just go YouTube Anthony Bourdain and you'll find plenty of reasons to enjoy his work. And maybe, yeah, maybe have a little think about the world, which I, and I assure you, you're going to have after this conversation with Lisa Gola. What else do I need to tell you? Oh, yes. So with regards to the staying in the recording in my grand spare room, it does look like this this journey I've been on. So if you're new to this podcast, hey, thank you. Thank you for listening to all of this and not just skipping ahead. Much appreciated. But yeah, I've been living at my grand's for like the last six months now because through a series of events, from her getting hit by a car, my grandfather dying of cancer, her having a stroke, and just <laughs> the roof even collapsed a little. And yo, there's been, it's been a journey, I'll tell you that much. But yeah, there's been this epic long tale that some people know all about. You got that story. And yeah, we're, we're here now. So the last six months, I've been staying here just to help out and look after my gran a bit and just yeah try to make sure 
she doesn't die. Uh, as plain and simply as that. But yeah, also <laughs> to promote a little company and do a little housework and handiwork where when necessary. So yeah, it's been it's been a long journey, but it's one that is coming to an end soon. It looks like around the 15th of next month, she's going to be moving to Joburg to live with my mom, which means I'm going to be going back home uh, to my flat in Glenwood, which I am, oh my God, I am so, so, so looking forward to. Like, I can't wait to be woken up by like just like cars hooting and like music blaring from, you know, the pubs and uh, it's going to be amazing. Like I'm not even I'm not even kidding, man. I prefer that to be woken up by like fucking hardy dogs and monkeys on the roof and just you know, at least at least people like fit my time schedule a little bit better. <laughs> like I'll be honest with you. But yeah, no, I, I genuinely am. I'm looking forward. I've got like I live on Helen Joseph Road, uh typically when I'm not when I'm not here. Just like kind of one of the party roads. Well, it is the party road in Glenwood. And yeah, one of the party roads in Durban. And I quite like that. Like that that suits me very nicely. It's weird. My friend Lee Famak, who is actually a guest on this podcast a while ago, you can go check out that episode if you want to. Uh, came here to pick up a Buddha statue because my grand's getting rid of a bunch of stuff and I put it on Instagram. She was like, Yeah, I'll take that. So she came to get it and she was gobsmacked by like how beautiful it is here. And it really is. It's lush and it's green because we live in this like little conclave near a river um, in Queensboro, <laughs> but it's not in Queensboro. It's like North Dean, Mosley area. And yeah, it's by the Ambila River. And it's just, it's by the Queensboro Caravan Park. I don't know if you know where that is, but basically fuckloads of trees, just super green, lots of rad bird laugh. Lots of wildlife in general. Like I saw a dassie the other day. Monkeys all day, every day. Like they just hang the fuck out here, uh, which is you know a little bit of a problem. But I'm not too stressed about them. But it's rad to get to see the birds. It's rad to get to hang out like in nature a little bit. But I really can't wait just to just have a normal life again. You know, to be able to walk the streets and go to a tea room and like I, I need a tea room within walking distance like that is a prerequisite for my life that's how I grew up I'm sorry like I grew up with a BP across the road for me an engine like the other side of the road then like another 20 meters was Theo's cafe that became Gowden's like I have had convenience on my doorstep my whole life I'm sorry, like, you know, up the road was Penzance Cafe. This was all within, like, 200 meters. Good governors down the road, man. Like, what the fuck? Like, and now I've got to, you know, we've got to drive to go to the shops to get stuff all the time. Like, I'm just not about that life. I just want to walk outside and just go to the place, which on Helen Joseph Road I have. So I'm learning things about myself <laughs> out here in, in the wilderness. But no, I'm I'm just keen, I think, to be able to focus a little bit more on myself and my own vibes and my own life for a bit again. I think I'm really going to enjoy doing that. So, yeah, that's where I'm at at the moment. And uh, hope hope wherever you're at, you're living good. 
it is time now for me to get some shout outs. I don't know if you know this, but this podcast is brought to you by you, which means you can go to patreon.com forward slash almost perfect. And you can support for as little as a dollar a month. You can just sign up there. Give me a dollar a month. That's like 14 rand. It's like three rand 50 a week. I'm sure this podcast is worth more than three rand 50 a week to you. Like, come on. Come on. Come on. It turns out that you can pay $5. You can pay $10. And uh, if you pay $10, like you go, go check it out. You can see what you get in general. But if you pay $10, you get shouted out on this podcast. So here it goes. This is the titular titles tier. It's a $10 tier. And shout outs to the chief sales officer of subtle heresies in the greater Oerg region, Rousseau. Shout outs to Kath Jenkin, who is the inevitable ruler of the universe, and Queen Swifty, regrettably. Uh, shout outs to Stephen Oliveira, who is the executive producer. Shout outs to Julian, who is the king. Shout outs to Karan Chetty. He is the assistant to the regional manager. We don't even have a regional manager, so I don't know, bro. You could probably, you could probably get promoted. Like we, we should chat. Uh, Shoutouts to Vishendra Naidu, who is a spiritual advisor. Shoutouts to Karan Slemon, who is the almost perfect hedge fund manager. Now I am counting, counting on your light, bro. Counting on you, a fuck time. We're gonna, we're gonna take this thing to the moon. I hope you put all our money into Ethereum and not Bitcoin. Because I heard Bitcoin dropped or something and Ethereum's going up. And then there's NFTs. Do we have money in our NFTs? We need a chat, bro. We need to have a fucking conversation. Shout outs to Neil Green, who is the key grip. Now, <laughs> this feels like a little bit of a demotion for Neil Green, who has a comedy show. I think you can still watch on Showmax and a bunch of podcasts with me, both on this, the Almost Perfect podcast, uh, almost live on YouTube and live from the Winston, and strongly disagree. So you can listen to us talk at any time you want to. And I just greatly appreciate that this motherfucker is all the way over in Ireland, and he is still buying me lunch. So shout-outs to Neil Green, who is the key grip of the Almost Perfect podcast. Shout-outs as well to Tyrant Love, who is our pantsless weasel. And shout-outs, lastly, to our anonymous benefactor, uh, if you can guess who the anonymous benefactor is, I will send you a packet of stickers. And also, if you just sign up to the Almost Perfect Patreon at $1, $5, $10, no matter what level, I will send you an envelope full of stickers and a personal thank you note as well, just to, just, just, just to have that personal touch. So, patreon.com forward slash almost motherfucking perfect, except just without the motherfucking, okay? So, maybe I should get that one too. <laughs> Fuck. Anyway, you can also buy mugs from me. Uh, they are 100 rand. Say almost perfect on them. You can hit me up, Bob, at almostperfect.co.za. 10 rand from each sale goes to Sasonke, which is an organization by sex workers for sex workers who are working to decriminalize sex work in South Africa, as well as supporting sex workers in a number of different ways. Obviously, sex workers have been hit hard in COVID, like everyone. But if you read up a little bit, you'll see that sex workers in general are slightly more vulnerable than others and could definitely use your money. So go to sasonke.org.za, just give a bunch of money if you can. And then also, if you want to feel good about yourself, 
I was drinking out of the almost perfect mug. If you want to, you know, feel that white liberal pat on the back, then yeah, just know that 10 rand from each tale goes to Sasonke. Cool. So without further ado, here comes the almost perfect podcast with Luisa Gola. So how are you living, Luisa? Fine, I'm chilling. Just, um, just taking it easy, actually. Nothing, nothing stressful, just taking everything easy. Yeah, I guess after you've put out your latest one-man show, Unlearning, it's been a bit of a different process than would normally happen with something like this because I would assume you release a show on Netflix and you would be touring, but that's a lot harder at the moment. Yeah, that's definitely a thing. <laughs> uh, you have to kind of figure out what to do next, which is exciting because before you would uh, ordinarily just... Um, know what to do next now you have time maybe touring is not the next thing to do maybe i need to i need to explore and figure out what's next you seem to be someone who's always doing that though yeah 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 i'm always i'm always i'm always uh trying to figure stuff out but uh i've thought of what to do next sort of uh yeah i i i i've had a think and what i have to do next that has probably nothing to do with my career Oh, snap. Do you want to share that or are you keeping that to yourself? No, it's all personal stuff. It's like things are connected all the time. So you have to fix things in your life to, so things to flow really at work, in the workplace as well. These things are not isolated. It's like, it's like how people always go, I don't get involved in politics. Well, I mean, I don't think it's your choice. I mean, you drink water, use the roads. That kind of stuff. In politics, you're involved, whether you like it or not. Yeah, that's a, the like that's life. That you can't avoid politics because it is just yeah. all encompassing. Yeah. So I'm saying that, like, so when you think of the next thing, you're thinking of career, but the next thing might not be career. When did you get on this path? You know, because this unlearning path, essentially. Because I mean, I know your last show was probably about six years ago, or so. Uh, well, the last one that at least the one-man shows. And, you know, this is quite a big step from there. And it seems like you've gone through this big personal change and this big introspection and the constant now vibe of just constantly looking inward. So when did this journey start for you? I think like uh, in my, I'm in my late 30s now. In my, when I was approaching my 30s, early 30s, I really was really thinking about how I'm going to move forward in life, just in terms of the decisions I make and what I've learned in the past. I was just doing some inventory and I kind of got into this idea that, well, I might not be able to use some of the things I learned because they're not relevant and they're not, and they don't generally help me. And so that's how it kind of, it kind of went on. And so, I mean, there's a lot of things. It's just, it's just growing up. It's like if you grow up, if you're the same person you were at 21, there's something wrong. I think human yeah, beings have to evolve uh, and get evolved and, so, and see the world differently. Were there any like, external influences to the story, like anything you were reading, any sort of like stuff you were watching, like you know, other people? Because it seems like you've picked up... I know I asked you before like, if you were into Buddhism, but the more I look at your stuff, it does have like, this, this undercurrent of Zen. You know, like the, your philosophies that you espouse often seem to be on that level of just, you know, going with the flow and just accepting things and being a part of the world and feeling it. And 
living through the experiences. So was there any sort of like, yeah, like philosophical reading that you came across? Not entirely. I think like I'm always going to come across literature. I think the one piece of literature that really, I was like, oh, okay, this is really interesting. Um, was a book by Ellen Gibaton. He's a aware of stuff. No. He's like a French philosopher, writer, Swiss French dude. And he wrote this book called Status Anxiety. Okay. So he just really discusses status in society and what it means and how it controls us and how once you can sort of like be at peace with status as a thing and understand it for what it is, then you start like really um, living your life freely. Because, uh, you know, you, you got to get into the book, but the book just really examines status. And when I, I read it first and then I, I audio booked it because I was like, oh, I got to take in this. And so that kind of took me on a path of just like questioning status, you know, and questioning yeah. my, exist- my existence. And so it kind of led me into a whole bunch of stuff. But I don't like, I don't, I don't read self-improvement books. I don't do that kind of stuff. I try, I just try to be present, try to be involved, and try to be um, self-aware. And I, I try to, I try to, for instance, I try to really understand issues more than make judgment on issues. So I, I, you know, like, so I've had like really heated conversations about, you know, when I really talk about when South Africa or my friends, or I mean, just a dialogue of gender-based violence, and I, and I, you know, I have, I have my views on it, and my views on it are not necessarily in agreement with the whole idea. My views are, I, I don't, I, I try. To sympathize and understand. That's my that's try. That's my main goal. I try to really sympathize. And I go, okay, why? Well, I don't think a human being does all these fucking crazy things out of nowhere. It doesn't matter what the situation is, you know, but why would they do this? Because nothing exists in isolation. Like we spoke yeah, about. Yeah, essentially we're we're driven to our actions by the society we were brought up in. Yeah. Uh, or whatever environment we're so we have to try, because I also understand that to investigate the person's or the society or whatever you use under investigation at the time, it's a lot of work. It's easy to condemn. An eight-year-old can condemn. But to understand a different thing, because it requires a lot of work. You have to really be like, oh, geez, really? Oh, what kind of environment was he growing up in? Who created this environment? How many parents were there? Was this the case? Was that the case? And if I was brought up in a situation like that, would I be able to survive it and function the way I function? Yeah, that's Sometimes something. Sometimes I'd say no. And then you're like, well, well, I mean, then you have to be sympathetic towards that situation. Yeah, it's, it's a weird one, though, because it's also, you know, we do all have personal responsibility and we do all have responsibility for our actions. I think you've brought it up where, you know, you're not really free from the consequences of your actions. You've got the right to choose and you've got the right to do what it is that you do, but, and they, that can have many causes behind it. 
But yeah. at the end of the day, if your actions negatively impact others, it's hard for, I think, society in general to sympathize because they'll obviously sympathize with the other side of it because the damage is so much more clear and it's so much more obvious. Of course, and these two things can exist. I could still... I can still understand you as a human being and why you committed a particular crime and you can still go to jail. Yeah, that's the idea. Yeah, so that's what I'm saying. You can, they, they, can, they can both exist. But for me, I'm more interested in why. Because with the why, then, we, you know, I'm, I can start investigating how do we solve the thing and how do we remedy the situation and how we can talk about it quite openly more understanding so that's me that's how i think most most of the time I go, oh man and 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 so even when i do <laughs> i used to always say when we were doing late night news i'd always say i don't want to know the politician so i get invited to things and i go i, I just don't want to know them because the minute i know them they become human beings and when they become human beings i feel bad talking about them on the television show so i would try to like <laughs> get away from it and for me, it was like always weird because um, when Duduzani uh, was on, when Duduzani was on, uh, he's in the news and that kind of, and I'm like, I know this dude. I grew up with this dude. I was, you know, I've known him since I was uh, like 16 years old. And I have mutual friends, we've always spoken. But I have this political show that now has to, you know, do you understand what I'm saying? So you can yeah, understand definitely. there's like a genuine con conflict in that because I don't have a bad experience with and while this is happening, I could bump into him again or end up in the same social situation. And I've known him for 15, 16 years old when I knew all that mutual friends. So it's like, so it's a, so it's like a, that's what I understand. The minute you understand, your, your guard is down. You become less hard. And you know, do you understand what I'm saying? Yeah, because I think it's a big part of also being a part of the creative scene in South Africa. I mean, you're closer to the political side because of your show, but... I know like as comedians and myself, especially, you know, I've made fun of a lot of artists and like, especially musicians and occasionally had to run into them, you know, in real life afterwards. And that's not something that I think Americans necessarily have to deal with, you know, their, their circles or people in bigger industries, they don't necessarily have to deal with that. But here in South Africa, as a comedian, sometimes the people you're making fun of can actually show up in the audience. Yes, 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 definitely. Mm, yeah. <laughs> um okay cool i actually want to chat to you a bit about how you grew up because from what i understand you grew up in Guguletu and your mom was a very strong influence so yeah tell me tell me about growing nah, up in Guguletu. I, I i left i left Guguletu very young it's really young okay i was about 11 12 yeah i grew up right i i grew up there i mean i was a kid i don't know what you want to know Just ask me what you want to know well, just basically how you got, you know, into comedy. Because I know you did a show for... I was already school. 17, but I started comedy. Yeah, so what was the journey to that? Because were, were you young and watching it on TV? Did you see other people no, doing no, it? No, no, no. I'd, I'd never really seen... I'd seen stand-up because, um, I mean, I'd watch big comedians, maybe like Eddie Murphy or Bill Cosby or... I don't know. I mean, like, um, I would watch, I'd watch these things, but I'd never really connected those dots until I was in school and I had this drama teacher. Uh, his name was Warren Neve, and he worked, he was my drama teacher. He 
is now the head of drama at Bits. And so he was like, hey, uh, we have Mark Lodgen coming to speak at our school. Mark Lodgen was a big star at the time, and he was, um, he was coming to talk to the kids because he had gone to school with Warren CT. So they were friends. And so he came to talk to us. And, uh, <laughs> and then Warren was like, hey, do you want to say something before Mark goes on? And I go, nah. He goes, well, just try to say something, you know, whatever it is, just be funny, whatever. And I go, nah. He's like, well, I can try to get you out of that detention that you have on Thursday. If you do, <laughs> you do me the solid, I'll do you that solid. I go, okay, cool. And I do it. And I just get on stage and I start talking. And I really like start doing impressions, mostly impressions of the teachers. And all the kids are killing themselves. And I, it was such a, it was a cool feeling. But I was like, all right, cool. I'm out of here. I'm like, cool. We continue with my day, get rid of that detention. But he was a bit persistent. He was like, hey, better do this job shadow. Now, I don't know if your school had job shadow. We had this thing called job shadow. Yeah. You follow a person around um, for a week and whatever career it is. So for that week, I would all the kids to choose different careers and we follow that career for a week. And after, after that week, you write a report about it. You get the, the marks or whatever the case is. And then, yeah, and he just kept on going, listen, that, uh, I got this group of comedians called K I think you can do a stand-up and I go, yeah, you bugger, I don't care. Give a shit about this. What, did you not think you could do it? So what was the situation there? Because child, why did he why child. did he have faith in you? Like what did you show him in school that he was like, you can open at school for Mark Lottering? I was probably like uh I was probably I was probably I think I was just a outspoken kid. I wasn't really funny in that sense. But I mean, I might not even know, but I just spoke and I was more inquisitive. Um, I was actually, I, I did have a smugness of You know better. I always felt like I was smarter than these kids. I always felt like my peers were dumb all the time. Just a real thing. <laughs> just, I, not, not, not even like, even if the person was a straight A student, I always used to think I am just smarter than them. Oh, like, I don't know. It was, it, it, it's really, it's, no, it's a very unhealthy, smug thing. I know, but that's for my teenage years, I felt very similar. Like when I was growing up, I had this whole thing of just feeling like I was better than everyone else. And like, I've learned to, I mean, I, I don't know. I think comedy actually humbled me and taught me that I'm not better than fucking anyone. Like I am just a lowly, you know, artist trying to say their thing. And sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. But failing on a stage over and over again definitely taught me that humility that I probably didn't have when I was younger. Yeah, yeah. Life will, that's, that's the whole point of life, is to humble, teach you, if you allow it. And, and, and so, yeah, when I, I did like this uh, article for GQ, and then they, they asked me if, what's the most preconceived notion of me, and I said, uh, people think I'm arrogant. And I go, not necessarily arrogant by default, but I'm, I don't see the value of being humble. Life is just a humbling thing. Whether you are a humble person or not humble person, that's your default self. Life will still humble. Do you understand what I mean? Yeah. So for you, it's about still, it's about being humbled by life and then what? Saying, and accepting it. And just be like, yeah, that's what life will do. Humble. That's it. All the time. <laughs> constantly. Life will humble you constantly. 
though from like from the outside it doesn't seem necessarily like that for you you know you seem to be on this whirlwind tour of everything's just worked out for you for like the last 10 years so you know like what's what sort of moments early on you know drew this out of you no, you know, you? no, no. it was it's a long-term process no man i i don't think people under i don't really talk about it as much because i don't think it's important i don't i don't the, the journey is for me it's personal yeah. one goes through their own journey that's fine so if you watch it from the outside, you're like, this person is, shit is always going their way. But not, not necessarily. If I like such a guy, I'm like, oh, man, that happened, that happened. I mean, I'm in the UK, I'm touring alone, it's this, you know what I mean? It's not, it's not a vibe. Yeah, but the, the loneliness is one thing. Loneliness you can experience all the time. But I'm just saying, like, it's just, you're not sure what's next. You. This, people don't know that I, I was on the shortlist for live at the Apollo for three years in a row. And every year I thought I was going to get it. Every year I thought I was going to get it. Every year I thought I was going to get it. And then I got it. I got it. That's why when I performed the way I performed, I was like, oh, you motherfuckers denied me three years. This is what you were missing out on. I was like being spiteful almost. I performed with like <laughs> bigger and anger. And uh, so it came out in sort of like my delivery. So it wasn't like this thing of like, oh, finally, I got it. Like, no, this no, is no, a big no, no, thing. No, no, no. None of that shit. Managers just leaving, going to other places, trying to find a good person, fight, fighting all the time. It's not careers, and that's, you know, that's, but when, I, when you see, you just see a Netflix special. You don't really know, like, take you like eight months to get the contract down. And in that time, you're fighting and you're trying to get shit sorted out. So it's, it's for me, it's, uh, it's crazy when people think it's like rosy. I get why they would think that. It's really things are tough. Things are tough and they require your time and your energy. That's why it's very important to have my time and energy because it's going to take a lot of it. Yeah, you're someone who has preached that quite a bit about being very intentional with your time and how you spend it. And I actually wanted to ask you, since you brought that up, how do you spend your spare time, you know, your free time? What do you do when you're not? Doing anything? Yeah, I could. Um, yeah, I, I mean, yesterday I watched football. Watched football the whole day. Just sit and do nothing. Read something. I've been reading less now. I think social media is probably what, but I, I've been reading less. I can socialize. Saturday I met up with a friend and just hung out and spoke, and another friend came. You know, I just got ahead. But I, I don't like have a thing that I. I cycle a lot when I'm in Cape Town. I have a lot of spare time getting from one place to another place. I spend a lot of time just trying to ponder shit. <laughs> trying to ponder a lot. Ponder. Oh, shit. How's that? How is that? What is this situation? Try to understand. And, but that's the thing. You like I would have, well, from what I've seen, you're trying to essentially create a life where you get to do that, where the time, you know, like, a lot of the time that you spend is obviously in your work, but then your off time is also just as valuable to you. So that's, I don't know, the way I've seen it, well, the way I imagine it is that you've set up your life and that like it's very uh, compartmentalized in that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Def definitely. Yeah, yeah. Try not to. Like if I am calling a friend and I'm, and I'm calling, I'm also calling like, 
I'm trying to close something off. It's like this morning. I was trying to close someone had pain. Someone's trying to do something. And I, I tried. So I like by before 11, I had two calls. One was to a friend and one was to, to make some money. And I, I don't think any one of those is more important than the other. I think like it's the same. I just go, yeah, obviously my, my friends are as important to me. Well, I would have thought your friends were more important, but yeah. <laughs> yeah it's the same. Like, you don't have to, you know, it's, I, I don't, there's no, there's, there's no other one that's more important. I need money to live. I need my friends to live. build family and society around and, and develop ideas and, and grow all with. And, you know, I need that. I need all of it. I need all of it. None of it is more important. How do you manage friendships being a nomadic person and being someone who travels a lot and you know stand-up comedy is something where we yeah we're away from home we're away from people that we love quite a lot and you especially because you you're someone who travels the world like you've been everywhere basically and i imagine that means spending a lot of time away from the people you care about so how do you actually manage that um it's fun i mean i, I stay in touch with people uh, i don't know if you've heard of this this shit called uh, telephones <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but when you're on the road are you considering those things are you think like what do you, uh, i do i mean i'm missing i'm, I'm missing weddings and, and funerals and those kind of things those moments and things that i do like i do uh those things but i mean i'm i'm pursuing a career and so i part of pursuing that career is i'm not going to be Available for a lot of things. Like if I have a kid right now and I continue doing the same thing, they might not have my attention. I can't have it yeah. all at once. You know? Someone, some, something is going to suffer if I focus too much on, on, on the relationship with the platonic or my career could suffer. You know what I mean? So you can't have, you know, it's, it's, it's hard to just have it all the way you want. But I think it requires its own time to get it right. Yeah, I feel that. You're mentioning getting sucked into social media just now, but you're also someone who has very much advocated that Twitter isn't real. So where, where do you stand on that these days? Um, I mean, when I said it isn't real, I was just saying, I was talking particularly in the South African context. It's number sure. A majority of the people do not have Twitter. The majority of South Africans don't use Twitter. The majority of South Africans struggle to access internet. Which I think it's tantamount to just abject, abject poverty, to not like be able to access information on 2021. It's yeah. worse than like, it's worse than famine almost. It's information. The inequality that it creates. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but it's not like we're not capable of, it's just we elected the wrong people. So they don't, it's not, it's not like, it's a crazy thing. You're in South Africa 2021, and someone and people can say and confidently say that I can't access that job and opportunity because I don't have the internet and all applications are online. So that one excludes me. That's a crazy thing. Yeah. That's crazy considering you had a, it shouldn't be like a thing that stands in people's way of just surviving. You know, 
once it's that, yeah, I'm with you 100. percent It's it's the it's the it's the most it's the most painful thing to watch. It's, it's painful to watch cell phone companies overcharge for for this data. It's oh, it's over. It's painful to watch government just be lackadaisical about a situation that affects the majority. Because once you have the internet, your brain is in that world and it's allows you to create businesses and allows you to you know what i mean yeah man half my life has been because of the internet like everything yeah. i'm doing this like but everything i've learned in the last 10 years has come from access to the internet not even 10 years 15 years so yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. i'm 100% with way, you there man the way money moves the way you know you understand what i'm saying everything is is, is on the internet like now for you to not be on the internet that way is uh, so but with the statements, you know, Twitter is not real and with this disconnect that there is. So there's obviously this portion of society and culture that thinks that they're moving things forward in South Africa because they've got access and they can talk to each other all day. And, you know, they're part of the conversation. But how do you see it from the other side then? Because in reality, you know, like I think, especially in stand-up comedy, you kind of see that South Africa is many different things, but that people on the ground aren't experiencing the same thing that the middle classes necessarily are. And so was that kind of the whole Twitter isn't real thing and that it doesn't have necessarily the effect that people think it does or people that are involved in it think it does. Yeah. Yeah. So Twitter would have an effect in my life because if I'm being honest, a lot of the people that consume what I do on stage, people who can pay 200 bucks for a ticket to see me are generally middle class-ish people, right? Like, and so that's my, that, that would be in turn my audience. So if I do something that gets me canceled or whatever the case is, that's definitely my reality because those are the people I've connected with. But there's people who just, it wouldn't affect them at all. You'd be like, yeah, I could still go to perform in the rows of involved, but people will pay 80 bucks, 40,000 people, I get my check. Or, you know, they, there's a way that doesn't include the people that are on Twitter. That's what I meant. Yeah. And for yourself, how do you navigate those two worlds? You know, because especially since you are going overseas and performing there a lot, and then even in South Africa, you're performing to middle-class crowds and that. But do you, how often do you get to perform to lower-class audiences or just, you know, more traditional South African crowds than the people with money? And then how do you balance having to do that? You know, having to go between not just, you know, middle class and lower class, but then also between South Africa and the rest of the world? Listen, I think South Africans don't have like disposable income, like let's say maybe yeah. the rest of the world disposable income. But it's tricky because it's a, it's a tricky thing because how do I explain? Like if you I don't work this carefully well. What I'm trying to say is like, if you, South Africa doesn't have a big middle class. Yeah. Problem with uh, Western economies, I mean, well, the benefit of Western economies, they really sustain by the middle class. So uh, whether it be the motor industry, whether it be sports, whether it be cocaine, it's all the middle class. Comedies, it will be consumed by the middle class. And so the 
whatever industry, whatever country you go to, your economy is boom. It be Australia, it be New Zealand, it be America, Canada, US, and maybe Europe. It's middle class people who can, on a crazy night, to spend 80 euros on a comedy show. It's not that that's not the case at all. So you get zoned into the people that can afford them, but there's very few of them. Yeah. Very few. So that's the problem. It's not necessarily a problem that's pertaining to me. It's just a problem that is like, listen, there's not enough money to go around because the economy under apartheid was built a specific way. And the transformation of that situation is not really happening as quickly as I would like to see it. So where do I go? I can compete in a, in, a, in a industry where my rewards are, if I'm good at the thing, I'll get rewarded. How can I explain? Yeah, I'll get, it. I'll get, the, I'll get the rewards. Whereas in South Africa, I'll be like, okay, I can, you know, go that tiny group of people like me. That's it. And the middle class is tiny, specifically the black the black So you don't want to, that was my main motivation of just sort of like, oh, maybe I should go to the world. So was comedy the catalyst for you traveling or not the other way around? No, I, mean, I was traveling before. I mean, it wasn't really. No, uh, uh, no, nah, nah, nah. I was traveling before. I mean, I, I, it wasn't the main motivation. But I, I'm saying oh, yeah. that. No, no, no. I mean, I was, I'd go to places and not even want to get on stage. That was before, I mean, that was, I mean, 10 years, 15 years. But of late, I've been seeing places because of comedy the last seven years. Uh, so I've been going to places because of stand-up. But then how much of the experience of that is ruined because you're at work? No, I mean, no, 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 it's fine. I think, uh, nah, I, I still enjoy the place, but I get what you mean. It's, uh, I'd rather be at the place and not be at the place. Because I'm like, the cost of traveling this much is, is not on me. And I get to see a certain portion of the place. I get to see a portion of Spain. And I'm like, oh, okay. Um, also, I, when, I, when I travel for holiday, I also just want to arrive and nothing. Um, <laughs> yeah. So part of it is that. So, uh, so I don't sightsee as much as I think I should. And so that kind of cancels the idea that I should be traveling and seeing stuff. I think like sometimes I've been in a place for 24 hours, 36 hours, and I just get the gist of it, just seeing the architecture, the people alive, and I walk to my hotel and I sleep and I wake up and I leave. And I, in, in my mind, I have an idea of what kind of place it is. I don't have to like be yeah. there for the weeks. If I am there for three weeks, I also like time to explore. So it depends. I mean, I, there's people who've never seen the places out there. Some people won't even, you know, the majority of the people in the world. So I do count myself as lucky as well. Yeah, no, definitely. Like, that's one of the things, like, I love about, like, your career is just how much you've gotten to travel. And it's something that it's definitely inspired me and made me want to do more. Just listening to you talk about the different places you've been and the different things you've discovered. And I can imagine... Like from me talking now, you know, you're in a place for 24 hours. How much when you're doing that, you know, you're obviously analyzing the place. You're trying to think of what the context of this is like. And then do you 
depending well what i'm trying to get at i guess is when you're doing comedy in different places how much do you localize your act how much do you take in what's happening around you and then try no, to bring no, it I into just, i almost come in and do the show verbatim the way i planned it home okay you know what i mean like i don't really try to go oh i'm gonna customize it for these people are, are there any worries when you with doing that so that they're not going to no. connect with you no he's okay because like to me like that is something when i travel like i'm always a little bit worried that i'm not going to connect with the audience that's in front of me and i guess you're not really playing to random audiences anymore are you no i mean listen most of the t- i think after the special i wouldn't be playing to random but it would be 50 50 people who've never seen people who just saw post whatever the case is but i'm saying that i don't have the fear that i won't connect I've done enough okay. to stand up in new places for me. No, I just tell them interesting stuff and they'll come on board. Some of the time they might not agree with you, but I don't think, I don't have that feeling. I just go, okay, I'm just going to tell them to stand up. Yeah. I guess you've been doing it for like 20 years now, so of course you feel this way. Yeah, yeah. Just, I don't have the fear that they won't. I'm just like, yeah, they don't laugh, they don't laugh. But, but early on, was it there? Or have you just always kind of been able to overcome that stuff yeah it was it was there like before but you know i don't know i just just got over that shit i think it just became a thing where you're like okay i i um, this is this is what i have to do they're here i'm here let's go you know i it's, it's, <laughs> i don't i just always say it's, it's a south african low confidence thing so we just yeah as collectively as a country there's like a low confidence that's happening and it's not race specific because your question tends to the idea that if you go to if you go to a place, are these people unless it's a different language, I do not see why the people will not understand. They understand the idea of standard. Do you understand what I mean? So it's I like yeah, it's for standard, but I'm saying like yeah, it's a standard. Like that. So I don't understand. If you came to see like it's a, it's the same thing around the world. Yeah, it's the same thing around the world. Why would they not? Why would they consider it? I mean, we're in Oslo. Sure, these are blonde, blue-eyed people who speak a different language, but they also use English, etc. Whatever. Just go, yeah, I'm just going to tell them what's in my mind and I'm going to keep moving. <laughs> One of the things that I picked up about your show is actually, weirdly enough, how much of our life is dictated by marketing. Like stuff like the Gillette thing, stuff like the De Beers thing. How much, yeah, like has that affected you like have you thought about those kind of things like just the influence of because that's one of the things that i picked up from your show i mean i figure you're picking up lots of different things as you're reading but was there any sort of intention about like hey this is the after i just wanted, of people, I just wanted people to think about the thing and not uh, it's one thing to think about the things and like of late i'm like is property the real better investment is it really and upon investigations, people are like, mm, no, that's the bank's idea. It's not, it wasn't like a society program, right? That was a bank. Those are the banks telling us. Do you understand what I mean? And that's why in South Africa, banks would give you, easily give you, uh, finance your car for, I don't know, 600000 but couldn't give you a, couldn't get you a bond for 800000 <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah, dude, I want 100% go to you. Like, it's the the structures in place are there to constantly screw you over, essentially. Yeah, so you, so I can't, I just want to scrutinize, I just want people to scrutinize things that way. 
yeah, think a little bit more. Do you think that's the role of the comedian though? Because I know a lot of comedians yeah. are like, my role is just to make people laugh. But then you get people like, you know, Lenny Bruce and others who have definitely made people think. And you seem to be on that non-conformist making people think tip, but I don't know. Um, I don't know. There's, uh, there's great value in the society just laughing as well. It's just the decision that I've decided. I don't, I don't think it's the role of Definitely don't. It's, what I, it's a personal okay. decision. Okay, cool. Um, and then I've got a listener question to ask you here. Lusanda Latuli asks, what are your favorite pair of sneakers? And he wanted to know how you started working with uh, Good, 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 Good. So I also saw that you were working with Daniel Sher, or at least your outfit for Unlearning was with Daniel Sher. So yeah, firstly, what's your favorite pair of sneakers? And then, yeah, how did you start working with them? I don't have a favorite pair of sneakers. I'd, I'd say, I'd say, that's also like a marketing idea. <laughs> it's like it's okay. Uh, there's a sneaker that I think uh, Air Force One, right? Air Force One is probably the most consistent sneaker in my life. Just, just so that it's for me, I like it because it's uh, it's it's, it's all because of its versatility. You can put if you know how to rock it right, you can rock with suits. You can rock with uh, you can rock it with shorts and sneakers, uh, shorts and socks, but. For me, what's interesting is how the sneaker vibe has changed. It's like a culture now. It's like a thing. It's like, yeah. Oh, and yeah, and I don't consume sneakers that way. I consume, I literally just consume the sneakers I like. I'm not going to wear a sneaker because it's the, you know what I mean? It's the, uh, it's cool. Whatever, whatever. It has to, I have to genuinely like it and think I'm so Air Force One, a white Air Force One for me is like, yeah. It's a classic. It's just like a good thing to just have sitting around. I've got like, I've always got like two pairs on ice any given time. <laughs> just um, so that I could just pull it out. Like if I'm ever indecisive about it, just pull it out. It's, it's just crazy. like old faithful, you know. Uh, Daniel is a friend of mine. Um, Oh, cool. And so, but the, the, the thing about uh, clothing, I, I just want to, I mean, I would always hope that we can, as South Africans, we can just always wear South African clothes. And that, that idea uh, is fully, like, attainable right now. And um, yeah. it's like, you know, even a, you know, even even just on a day to day, I, I wear probably sixty percent South African clothes, right? And it's good shit. Like that's the cool good thing shit, about yeah. the current level. The current stuff is high, very good level of clothes. Daniel's clothes, because we're about the same height as well. Okay. So he, the considerations were for a person who's tall. So I was like, oh, this, he understands the fits and the cuts of the people in the tall and how to make it look a specific way. And so I kind of gravitated towards him. And I started just having conversations about clothes. We got along and we, I mean, we not just got along and say we agree, we have a lot of issues, fought on a lot of issues. And then we were trying to figure out a working relationship. Because I was like, listen, I'm going to do a lot of press, I'm going to do this, let's figure out a because when I try source clothes, which I, the size is a big issue. Sizes are a massive issue. So 
he was already making clothes for himself. I was like, well, cool. And also, it's just the quality is great. The quality is amazing. The quality of his t-shirts, the quality of his shirts, the quality of his um, the linen. Oh, my God. It's amazing. But going into the show, how much of the consideration was of what you were going to be wearing? Because I think comedians do spend, well, depending on the comedian, spend quite a bit of time thinking about that. So was the presentation of how you looked and this collaboration like something you really thought about? Or was it just you, you know, wanted to work on something cool with Daniel? Yeah, I thought about it a lot. I mean, it was like we shot it in the summer. So, oh, snap. <laughs> so I, I, yeah, it was in the summer when we shot. So the Clothes are indicative of that. It's like it's in Africa, it's Cape Town, it's December, it's like 32 degrees outside. Uh, so that's going to be a thing. So we started talking like a month and a half before the shoot. Like, so we, it, it was more like if, if we're going to, we had a couple of options where to shoot. So in my mind, I kind of, uh, so we shoot in this place, you know, I'm going to go with this kind of look of design. This place, and so it kind of worked out because even when we were shooting the special, we had like we had two of each outfit. One was navy, and one was green, and so on. And so one of the nights we tested, we tested the two, and then the, the navy one kind of popped better from the light to the chosen to shoot the special. So we went we were with the navy, we didn't go with the green. Oh, we had like different colors of the thing, so we were testing it. And when we tested it, we were like, so the, to answer the question, there was a, everything that you saw in that special was hiding. Every single thing was hiding. There's nothing, there's nothing that was left to, you know, let's say chance, or there's nothing that, that exists in that special without maybe like a great deal of life. I wonder if you ask me anything, why is that there? And then I'll, I'll, You'll have a reason. I'll, I'll explain to you why. Why is this thing? I'll be like, oh, no, this is this person's decision, that, 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 that. And how we got to that is because we did this, this, this. Yeah. Okay, cool. And I just want to ask you one last thing about the show, and it's specifically about uh, your joke writing and a specific joke. Because what I loved, um, I mean, I loved quite a lot of the show, but one of my favorite parts was the callback. Well, you did two callbacks and one joke where you were talking about the submarine and then the updating the software. So which of those came first, like in that particular part of the show, you know, because you've set it up before, like the submarine part, and then you've set up the updating your software as a person, like aspect. So when did those two ideas like, come together as that like joke towards the end? I almost did. There's certain cuts of the show that didn't have that joke. Oh wow! Yeah, so we shot it. I love that. Bit. I love that bit. Yeah, that, that was probably that was the second last joke to make the show. Everything else kind of existed. I think that that, that joke was, and I think I actually think I just discovered it on the night, one of the nights, oh, wow. and then the director was like, "Yeah, you should keep that." And then I said, can I, I'll do it in the, tomorrow, but I won't do it. But I, I think it, it was once, I think, out of the five, I think I, I probably did it twice. So here's the other thing you have to understand. So we shot the thing five times. The first time I did it, it was a full rehearsal. No, there was no, there was no audience. 
So you perform the show for being everyone everyone on set has an opportunity to stop and say oh, Well how long how long was the show show running time compared to the like final a, product? It would it would it would be in between fifty six minutes and an hour three minutes. Okay, so about ten minutes out of it, well ten fifteen edited out. Nah, nah, probably like five. No. I don't think we went longer than an hour seven minutes. Okay. And I don't think we were shorter than 56 minutes. I remember this section. And so we would, there was a lot of stuff in between. But I, wouldn't, I didn't go on for long. And I, no, because I, the show was sort of prepared. So we would, I, would shot, I shot it like first day without audience and then the second day, different versions of the show. So you could, watch, you could have watched the show four different t- times. And each person would have had a totally different story. It would be, the one would be too focused on storytelling because that's what you would get. And some of the ones would like just, just deliver the punchlines. Like, think of the punchline and deliver it. And the other one is take your time. Whatever you're doing, take your time, don't rush. And those are the shows that kind of run, run over to about an hour seven. And so when you were putting it together, you're piecing it, you're piecing it, you're putting it together in. Putting it together, it's, you know, like how sound bars are, like sound people. I mean, there's like each take has a different color. Yeah. So it would, it would be like, it would be like pieces of pieces and parts of different shows. So I would introduce a joke from one hit, and then I'd end it on my fourth show. But they were kind of. Oh, snap. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't pick that up because I was wondering if it was actually just one show and how you decided which nah, show to go. Nah, it's five shows, cut in between five shows. I wanted to tell you a way you can figure it out, but I don't, wanna, <laughs> I don't want to ruin the audience experience. But I'm wondering if it's shoes or something. But yeah, I'll, nah, I'll watch it again later and figure it out. No, 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 you won't figure it out. I know you won't figure it out. It's the easiest thing, but you won't figure it out. But um, <laughs> one of the takes. If you notice, this is not the cheap thing I'm telling you. One of the takes, if you notice, um, it's sweaty. Okay. It's like sweat. It's not like intense. But those take, those shots had to be from far. Great performance, great energy. But I sweat, so it messes with the continuity. Huh. It's a, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was a highly technical, very cinematically shot. But then you got a little ad lib in there, and that ad lib turned out to be like one of these cool, like pivotal moments. Because to me, just that that line of like you got to update your software was like just reinforcing what you'd been saying earlier, you know, and like yeah. it came from just such an out of left field way. Yeah, 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 and it's and it's absurd. And yeah, it's absurd that this guy and it's funny because the, he's just like, yo, bro, the reason this shit doesn't work is because you haven't updated your software. <laughs> Which is a great punchline on its own, even without the setup from earlier. Yeah, 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 yeah. I get it. Uh, yeah, but it came from like reworking, 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 reworking. Uh, yesterday I was talking to Celeste, she's writing an hour of stand And then and then she was, you know, she said I must bring her on, whatever I came. I did the thing, and we were talking afterwards, and uh, she's asking me about the thing, and I'm talking about structure. And then. Um, she says to me that she kind of, because she has to do the thing so many times, she, she gets bored of the thing and she wants to add. And I say, nah, <laughs> you, you, you have to live in the boredom of the set. 
you have to be excited by changing the small things. <laughs> it's, That's great. And, and so she's like, and since she said that, oh, she's never really thought of it. She just said that you have to freshen it up. I said, yeah, but if you freshen it up, it never grows. It just, the boredom is the, the, it's not boredom in that sense. It's like the boredom of it is how you get it right. Hmm. I, you know, like I did that show for six years, like three years straight, go to Edinburgh, you do that show word for word for a month. And some people can't stand that. I go, I, I can it gets on my nerves sometimes, but I know what's happening. Because I'm like, what's happening is... Um, what's like a play gets better? Like, you know, or like yeah. the first... The first epi- the first viewing of a play versus like the seventh or eighth are completely different. And yes. it's, it's the same show. It's the same words being said. It's the same actors. Yes. So so they get into them. They they you know they as they get bored and they try to find purpose in the work. And so so it's it's not necessarily that when it gets boring you have to change it or when you like oh what is this try to find the meaning of. So when I say this word, what does it actually mean? And so sometimes I would, like I would, when I was doing it, I learned that I, I don't I think I could And so when I got to the real tense race parts, people would just take that and, and, it, and it, would, it would feel like I was preaching. It would feel like I was upset. And I, I don't think it's important whether I'm upset or not. So I had like long talks with my manager at the time and she would say like, yeah, but you want them to want to listen to you for the next 40 minutes. So you can't <laughs> lose them here. And then I'm like, no, nah, but I, wanna, I want them to hear racial truth. And I go, yeah, but it doesn't help you in landing the plane. So help yourself land the plane. So you have to find a way that when you land, when you make that point, they are still with you at the end. And so when it comes together, and so shit like that. So you don't, you don't necessarily go, ah, you try to find the purpose of the line and the joke and, or the passage of all the material. You're like, oh, the purpose is to make them understand this thing. So if I can make them understand it and then land the plane at the end. Because before it was very reprimanding. Then I go, <laughs> that doesn't help me. Doesn't help what I'm trying to do. Doesn't help the show. Doesn't help. You know what I mean? So the last ten minutes would be like, Bleh. so yeah. So that's so you know that's what I was that's that's what I was telling her. That's what I was telling. I was telling her, like just to just be uh, mindful of that. And if she wants the show to be good, she has to um she has to um live in the boredom. <laughs> yeah. Don't let, like, find purpose in that boredom. I wish I'd, like, had this conversation with you, like, years ago, because I feel like this is, like, a little secret or, like, a little cheat code almost to comedy, because it is one of those things in comedy that has always frustrated me, is that repetition. And I'm someone as well who I like to just be doing trying new jokes constantly. But, yeah, that's actually some great advice, because your brother also very much advocates sticking to the script and getting it right, so... Yeah, man. Thank you so, so, so much for this. This has been such a great chat. And thank you for giving me a bit of extra time at the end here. I greatly appreciate it. So yeah, this, this yeah, does bring us to the end of it. And I hope you have a good rest of the day and you spend your time doing whatever it is that you want to do.
Oh, definitely. I gotta go eat now. <laughs> cool. Like, hey, <laughs> yeah, this is this was in between my eating time. So uh, kinda, I'm, I'm sorry. But it's all good. I'm sorry to. Oh, good. I am chatting to sweet i'll hopefully yeah check you around sometime and yeah good luck with uh yeah just everything else going forward be safe my brother